Writing your oncology case report is a huge undertaking, and it's easy to make silly mistakes that can derail your entire writing process. That's why you need my brand new masterclass, the three-step framework for a finished case report. In this free masterclass, you'll learn three of the biggest mistakes to avoid when writing your case report, the secrets to actually finishing your case report, no matter the patient case you've chosen, and my proven three-step framework for starting and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at theoncopt.com slash framework. Again, that's theoncopt.com slash framework. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Contu. Hello, Onco PT, and welcome to this episode of the Onco PT Podcast. I'm Elise, your host, and today we're diving into a little more about cancer-related fatigue. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that we went into what is it? How are some of the ways that it manifests in patients? What causes cancer-related fatigue, or at least what we think causes cancer-related fatigue, and a little more about that. Now, if you're listening to today's episode and you haven't listened to last episode on our part one about cancer-related fatigue, stop, go and listen to that. Because in today's episode, what we're covering is what the heck do we as physical therapists actually do about cancer-related fatigue? Now, as we know, Cancer-related fatigue is one of the most common symptoms after a cancer diagnosis, and some patients even experience cancer-related fatigue before they have the diagnosis because cancer is already happening in their bodies. But what we do know is that it's common and it's one of the most distressing symptoms that patients can experience as part of their cancer care journey. It reduces their ability to carry out um, ADLs, excuse me, activities of daily living. And they also can experience a loss of motivation. And we have to consider that again, cancer-related fatigue is not this I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to feel better. Cancer-related fatigue is exactly the opposite of this. In fact, rest can make cancer-related fatigue worse. The real fix, as we know, is actually movement, activity, and exercise. And so it can be very much compounded when patients are experiencing the physical effects of cancer-related fatigue, but also the social, the mental, the emotional effects of cancer-related fatigue. What we have to remember is that cancer-related fatigue is multidimensional. It's not just physical. This is a distressing, overwhelming sense of exhaustion that patients can experience. And it affects multiple domains of their life, of their existence. And so when we consider that they have difficulty doing activities of daily living, and then we also have potentially like loss of motivation on top of that, that can be a lot to overcome. Good news, though. We know how to do this, and I'm going to teach you how to be doing this. So as soon as patients are diagnosed with cancer from the beginning, we need to be screening our patients for side effects, including cancer-related fatigue. And we need to continue monitoring for these symptoms of both cancer-related fatigue and other side effects throughout treatment and even well after treatment has finished for the patient. Because again, side effects don't just affect the person during treatment or immediately thereafter. There's in fact some evidence to suggest that up to a third of patients are experiencing significant cancer-related fatigue 10 years after their diagnosis. 10 
years. It's a long time. It's a long time to be living with side effects of something that you had treatment for 10 years ago. For example, um, I think, actually, I don't even remember time frame. This is so bad. So I had my wisdom teeth pulled out like many people do when I was in early college. Oh my God, it is about 10 years. Wild. And imagine if you were still having side effects, still having pain and jaw dysfunction and difficulty eating after a wisdom teeth removal 10 years ago. Now, I know apples and oranges, wisdom teeth removal, cancer treatment, kind of different here, but the sentiment still stands. It's wild to think that patients can still be experiencing these side effects for so long afterwards. And here's why it's important. Come back to me here. These patients are not always going to wind up in a cancer center or in Fort Worth Cancer Care, where I treat my patients, my private practice. They are winding up. They are seeking care for this and other impairments in your typical physical therapy settings, outpatient orthopedic, day neuro, acute care, inpatient, home health. They are not just going to be in the cancer center. So we as physical therapists need to know what to do when the person that we're seeing is experiencing cancer-related fatigue. What do we do about it? So again, we know that cancer-related fatigue is very distressing for patients. It causes a great deal of concern for both patients and their caregivers, their families. And so again, there's there's very much a multidimensional component to cancer-related fatigue. And we must be recognizing these and then act on these so that we can ultimately help them live their best lives. So I'm going to walk you through a framework that I've developed here as far as what can we do about this side effect, this impairment of cancer-related fatigue? And I want you to remember the acronym SATER, S-A-T-E-R. Yes, it's spelled slightly different than the SATER we're used to. Work with me here. So S-A-T-E-R. S stands for screen. A stands for assess. T for treat. E for educate. And then R for refer. And we're going to walk you through each of these five, um, five letters here. So the first part of SATER is screen. We need to be screening our patients for cancer-related fatigue. We know it's one of the most common side effects. We know it's one of the most distressing ones, both during and after treatment, and sometimes even beforehand, before treatment, before diagnosis, as we've discussed previously. The likelihood is that your patients will experience cancer-related fatigue. So we need to act accordingly. We need to be screening all patients who have cancer or have a history of cancer for cancer-related fatigue. And I think one of the best ways that we can do this is to really talk to our patients and listen carefully to their concerns. This does take a little bit of practice. Like everything that we learn how to do as physical therapists, it takes time to develop these skills. But if we're sitting down and we're really listening and paying attention to what the what the patient is telling us, or even sometimes what the caregiver or the family members are telling us, we can start to pick up on these, huh, this person might be experiencing cancer-related fatigue. And it's interesting because, again, that fatigue that they experience is not strictly physical. Uh, I was actually just doing an interview earlier today with another person who is a cancer survivor, and she made the comment that she was going through her cancer treatment and felt this overwhelming sense of, I'm so done with everything. Like I physically, emotionally, mentally cannot go on. And 
while there's a lot to unpack in this, as she was talking about it more, it became very clear, like, okay, there's multiple issues going on here. But she was very much describing this exhaustion, this overwhelming exhaustion that she was experiencing, again, not just physical, but also social, emotional, mental. And again, she didn't specifically say the words, I am fatigued of feeling this way. There's, st- there's things, like I said, that we can start to really pick up on and say, oh, okay, maybe this is going on. For some of my patients, it sounds like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just gassed. Or even, again, from another patient that I was talking to. Before cancer, I used to be able to walk around, go to my job, no problem. But now by 9 a.m., I'm wiped. I have to sit down. Maybe it sounds like, you know, I have to take a nap more often than what I used to. Again, while it's not just physical, there's definitely some physical signs that we can start to pick up on, things that patients are telling us that can definitely alert us to saying, hmm, this person might be experiencing some cancer-related fatigue. I need to assess further. So again, part of screening is just looking out for these things and then identifying there might be something here. I need to do something more about it. Now, the A in Seder is assess. And this is where we're physically doing maybe more formal testing of this. And this could look a few different ways. Maybe I'm having my patient fill out a questionnaire that assesses fatigue. And there's a few different ones that are recommended by the APTA Oncology EDGE Task Force. I will link in the show notes today to the EDGE Task Force Annotated Bibliography. What this document is, in short, they looked at the research And they said, this is what the research tells us is the most appropriate way to assess blah, blah, impairment, blah, blah, side effect, including cancer-related fatigue. So I will link to that into the show notes. There are various unidimensional and multidimensional questionnaires that are highly recommended and recommended by this EDGE task force that are really good for assessing cancer-related fatigue in people who have cancer. I'm going to refer you to that. I'm not going to go through that extensive list. There's some really good ones on there. Take a look at them. There's a probably really good chance that your institution already has access to some of these. So take your pick, find which one works best for you and your patients, and then actually assess your patients with this. One of the things that I really like to do, and this is maybe a little more for kind of general screening assessment of patients. I really like the FACT questionnaires or the FACET questionnaires. So F-A-C-I-T.org, FACET.org. It's the Functional Assessment of Chronic Illness something. Now I'm, of course, forgetting the T. I will put that in the show notes. But they have a lot of different questionnaires that some are even validated and proven reliable for the oncology patient population. But they have a really good FACET fatigue subscale that is really, really appropriate for um, people who have cancer or have had cancer in even just screening them. Now, in some patient populations, this hasn't been validated, but I think it's still a good way to at least screen patients to say, yep, we're definitely having some issues here. And then you can even incorporate that into your assessment, your evaluation of this patient. So questionnaires are really helpful because sometimes they can help patients qualify their experience. They can put words to their experience that maybe they didn't know how to convey. Sometimes it makes patients think about, you know, I really hadn't considered that before. Come to think of it, I am having problems with this. 
So it can be very helpful for multiple different reasons. And then I always like to have a little objective data coming along with that. There's different ways that we can assess a person's functional mobility. And some of this is related to fatigue, but maybe not necessarily just assessing fatigue. So what I mean by this is I really like to do one of a few different physical tests to assess a person's mobility, which can also include their fatigue. So for example, a step test, a six-minute walk test, a two-minute walk test. These are all great ways to get an idea of how is the person moving. And then what I really like to look at these is what is keeping the person from moving better, moving more, moving faster on these specific tests? Is it because they have pain? Is it because they're tired? They're fatigued. They don't have the energy to do this. Is it a strength issue? Is it a balance issue? I encounter that frequently in my practice. I'm sure you do too. But what this can do is this can help us assess a patient's aerobic capacity. And this is where we can really start to make an impact in what we're going to move into in the T in our Seder framework here. So Seder, the T is for treat. We as physical therapists can intervene, can treat these various impairments that patients are experiencing. We know this. One of them is cancer-related fatigue. Obviously, that's why we're talking about it on the podcast. One of the best ways to address cancer-related fatigue, one of the strongest, I won't say fixes, approaches to addressing cancer-related fatigue in this patient population is activity. There's really strong evidence to suggest this, to support this, which is really cool. If you're not familiar with ACSM's effects of exercise on health-related outcomes in those with cancer document, this is gold. I will link to this in the show notes. Please make sure that you go and check that out because it's really, really good. But there are very specific guidelines for what do we do for the person who has cancer-related fatigue? What is actually going to help them? And they break it down into aerobic-only exercise, resistance-only exercise, and then combination. So aerobic plus resistance training. And here's what they found. Here's what research has told us time and time again. So recommendation, if you're going to only do aerobic exercise, three bouts of 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. So three bouts per week of 30 minutes moderate exercise is helpful for those who have cancer-related fatigue. If the person is going to choose to do resistance-only training, two bouts weekly of two sets of 12 to 15 repetitions targeting the major muscle groups at a moderate intensity. I know that's a lot, so break it down again. Moderate intensity, two bouts per week of 12 to 15 repetitions that target major muscle groups is helpful for those who have cancer-related fatigue. And when I say helpful, I mean it helps the actual experience of cancer-related fatigue. It can help it decrease. It can give them more energy to do more things, et cetera. Now, obviously, we would prefer to do both. We know that there's benefits to aerobic exercise. We know that there's benefits to resistance exercise, but when we combine them, we have really good stuff in general, okay? And I would say the same for our patients who have cancer. So if we're going to do both, we basically combine these. So aerobic plus resistance training. Aerobic, again, is still that three bouts, 30 minutes, moderate intensity exercise per week, and then adding in that resistance component of two weekly bouts, two sets, 12 to 15 repetitions, major muscle groups, moderate intensity. 
So bring those together. Now, what I know you might be thinking is, Elise, isn't the general recommendation for aerobic exercise 150 minutes of exercise, moderate intensity? Yes, it is. Ideally, we are trying to get our patients to participate in the minimum recommended activity guidelines, which in the United States, I think it's still, you know, two days a week of resistance training and then 150 minutes, moderate intensity aerobic exercise per week. I also recognize we have to be realistic. And I really like that these papers, these, this, this research that has come out has said, this is the minimum for seeing positive benefits here. Now, I think if you did more, you'd probably see more benefits within reason, right? So ideally, yes, we're striving for that 150 minutes, but know that even just three bouts of 30 minutes, moderate intensity can be beneficial, which is really, really cool. Now, before we start prescribing exercise, throwing interventions at the wall to make sure that, you know, we need to make sure that they actually work. So it's critical that we assess what is the patient's current activity levels right now. And then if we're really going to treat this, we really need to incorporate this realistically into their schedule. So working with patients to actually schedule their home exercise program, their homework, or whatever they're going to be doing in order to achieve those minutes, those those repetitions of exercise, we need to make sure that we are scheduling them in so that they become a priority or so that we make them a priority in that patient's life in their routine. And again, every patient is different. You and I know this. And so while, yes, we have these guidelines here, we need to actually translate them into that patient's life and their interest and the things that they want to do and that they need to do so that we can ensure we can really encourage and promote the success of that patient in achieving these guidelines. Ultimately, we want them to feel better. We want them to be able to do things, the things that they want to do and need to do. And we can't actually do that unless we're em- employing ways to really implement exercise and activity into their lives in a way that's meaningful to them. You've probably learned goals need to be salient. They need to be important to the patient Because if I set goals and they're not important to the patient, then they're not going to get achieved. There's no incentive for us to be working together to actually achieve those. So consider each patient as an individual, as a unique individual, when you are creating a treatment program and then setting goals for them to achieve. Now, next up in our framework, we have the E, which is one of my favorite letters, educate. Now, it's really critical here that we are placing an emphasis on achieving and maintaining independence in the activities that matter most to the patient. Again, sometimes we get really wrapped up in what do we think our goals, us being the physical therapist, what are the goals that we are setting for our patient instead of what does the person actually want to be able to do? What do they want to achieve? So for example, here. I had a patient who, oh my God, I adore her so much. She was, she was so cool. And she taught me a lot, not just about herself, but also like how to really work with people who have advanced disease. So this patient had metastatic breast cancer, long time, 
very extensive disease, but was still living on her own. She was fairly mobile. She loved to drive her car. In fact, she loved to drive her car a little too fast because she was frequently late to therapy, but not that late because she would speed to get there. Anyways, what was so important to her was being able to maintain independence as much as possible. She had lived on her own for basically her entire life, and she wasn't going to let metastatic cancer bring her down in that sense. So, One of the things that she was really struggling to do was to make food for herself. Everybody needs to eat. And so as such, because she was struggling to make food for herself, because she couldn't stand for very long, she relied a lot on takeout and drive-through food, which was not very healthy and was in fact causing an exacerbation of symptoms and other things she was experiencing. So for her, When I first started, I would have really loved to get her to where she was walking without her assistive device. We were doing, you know, X amount of minutes of walking per day because we know that's really good. But for this patient, that wasn't feasible and that wasn't really a goal of hers. What she really wanted to do, though, was she wanted to be able to stand at her stove and and, cook scrambled eggs in the morning. But she couldn't. She could not currently. And so when we really reframed our plan of care towards, again, achieving and maintaining independence for that patient in the way that it looked like, the way that it mattered most to her, this is where we really saw progress. So we really worked on how do we improve her fatigue to the point where she can stand and whatnot. And so this may include for our patients who are experiencing cancer-related fatigue, maybe we're educating them about pacing themselves about energy conservation techniques, about kind of, again, planning out your day so that you know, okay, I'm going to expend energy here and then I'm going to need a little rest after that. But then I'm going to, you know, again, incorporate rest breaks throughout my activities so that I can build up endurance to where I can do what I need to do. Or I can conserve my energy because I know I'm going to be doing this big thing later on in my day. So again, pacing, balancing activity and rest throughout the day, and then even teaching them about different energy conservation techniques. And one of the things that can be kind of challenging, especially for us newer therapists, is setting realistic expectations or goals for physical performance. So again, not just us, because I know I definitely have different goals than my patients and I need to like recenter back on what are their goals? What do they want to do? What matters most to them? But sometimes patients may have different ideas of what they want to get back to and what is actually physically possible for them. Now, let me be clear. I am never going to put limitations on my patient. If they say that they really want to work on this, we're going to try our darndest to get there. But for the patient who maybe is not going to achieve this big, hairy, audacious physical goal that they've set, what are the things that we can do? to get almost there or get partially the way there. And so maybe again, we're working on prioritizing activities, right? We know that you're not going to be able to do all five things that you want to do in a day. How can we accomplish three or four of those things and then save that fifth thing for the next day? So scheduling, prioritizing the different activities so that patients can still focus on independence, quality of life, and maybe even increasing activity levels that are still realistic for them. 
So lots of ways to do this. Again, this is very much a you kind of have to figure things out with your patient as you go. We know that these patients are very dynamic. Um, they can experience some very rapid physical wellness health changes. And so it takes a little bit of adaptation on our part and flexibility so that we can do that. Last letter of our Seder framework here is R, refer. Cancer-related fatigue is multidimensional. I actually have in my notes here, cancer-related fatigue can be multidimensional. I'm going to say it is for a lot of our patients, even if we're not recognizing that it is truly multidimensional. If you recall back to the definition that I shared from NCCN on cancer-related fatigue last time, we know that cancer-related fatigue affects every domain of that person's existence. So it affects them physically, yes, but it also affects them emotionally, mentally. It affects their relationship. It affects their ability to do the things in their daily life, activities of daily living, but also roles in the community, job, caregiver for someone else, volunteering. And so while we as the physical therapist can help a lot with the physical side of things, we can't tackle it all. And in fact, we shouldn't try to tackle it all because a team is really what this person needs. And so maybe we're referring out to a psychologist, a psychotherapist, a counselor for the mental, emotional, even relationship support that this person needs, that treatment the person needs for that aspect of their cancer-related fatigue. We can educate our people on good sleep hygiene. And, you know, as necessary, maybe we're referring out for that as well. You know, again, we can educate them on good sleep habits, good hygiene, sleep hygiene habits, but maybe we need a little extra help getting help for that. Maybe we're also referring patients to support groups. Maybe that would be helpful for them. But we should not try as the physical therapist to handle or manage or treat all of the different domains of that person's life that cancer-related fatigue affects. We can help a lot. We can help a lot with the physical, which can definitely trickle into these other domains, but we don't need to be trying doing it all on our own. Cancer-related fatigue is so common, and unfortunately, it is so distressing to patients. And perhaps more unfortunately, most unfortunate of all, is that cancer-related fatigue is often overlooked. It doesn't always have the same physical, visible manifestations that other impairments have. For example, lymphedema. When a person has lymphedema, typically you see some swelling. There's a difference in what the limb looks like compared to maybe the other limb or how the limb looked previously. Again, after like surgery or radiation, there is sometimes a physical deformity that patients can experience that changes the way they look and how they function. Cancer-related fatigue doesn't have that same visible element to it always. It's really critical that we are always always monitoring patients for these side effects. We are screening them for cancer-related fatigue and other side effects at the point of diagnosis and then moving forward. Just because a person is out of the weeds or they've been you know, discontinued from active treatment, you know, maybe they finished chemotherapy, finished radiation, for example, that doesn't mean they're in the clear. 
Because as we know, cancer-related fatigue can last for a long time after treatment's done, even up to years later. We as physical therapists have the capacity to help people when they're experiencing cancer-related fatigue. Maybe we're the ones treating them. Maybe we're the ones who are connecting them with other resources, other professionals who can help further with the cancer-related fatigue. But we need to be assessing all of our patients for this, always screening them for this. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the OncoPT podcast. I really appreciate your time. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with one friend, one colleague. This helps us reach more people and ultimately empower more physical therapists to feel confident and competent in treating people with cancer. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT podcast. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, leave a rating and review, or support us on Patreon.